Can't just pick and choose what to materialize. Boy, you. Should hear this story from the beta test. I grabbed a star-shaped nut from the dish on the table, flipped it into the air, and caught it in my mouth. Even this. Trifling action was affected by agility, the brightness of the surroundings, and the hidden influence of luck. So, the first snatching mob appears in the fifth floor. Labyrinth. A guy loses his main weapon and doesn't have a backup for a quick change. So he turns tail and manages to escape the monster. However, he doesn't feel like trekking all the way back to a safe room. Instead, he finds a spot he thinks is safe, then does the materialize all items. Trick. Sure enough, in the pile is his stolen sword. The problem is, the snatch mobs aren't the only guys to watch. Out for there, there are also looting mobs. All these little gremlins come pouring out of the woodwork and grab everything off the floor, stuff it into their sacks, and scamper off. That does sound awful, but couldn't he just find an actual safe haven and do that same trick again to get it all back? That's the thing. Most looter mobs have the robbing skill, which immediately rewrites the item's ownership. Fortunately for him, nobody else had been to that area yet, so he crawled the entire dungeon to hunt down all the gremlins and managed to get his stuff back by hand. I tell you, it brought tears to my eyes. I flipped another nut into the air, sighing in exasperation. That story sounded like there was some personal experience behind it, Asuna noted wryly. My internal panic system must have kicked in, because the nut landed in my hair rather than my mouth. I shook my head and tried to look aggrieved. It's just a story I heard, nothing more. Anyways, where was I? You were explaining how the materialize all. Command is useful, but has its limitations, she sighed, and reached out to pluck the star-shaped nut off my head. Before I could ask what she planned to do with it, she flicked it with a finger directly into the open crack of my mouth. I crunched it with my teeth, marveling at her accuracy. At any rate, now I understand the logic of how my sword came back, she said, taking a sip of her wine. When the glass left her lips, that dangerous light was back in her eyes. But that's only half of the story, isn't it? After all, I saw the sword I gave the blacksmith shatter on top of that. Anvil. If the wind floret that came back was my original sword, what sword was it that broke into pieces? A very good question. I nodded slowly, trying to piece together the fragments of information and suspicion into an easily explainable form. To be honest, I don't have a full explanation of that train of logic. What I can say for certain is this, at some point from the time you handed your wind floret to Neza, to the time it shattered into pieces, he switched it out for another item of the same type. At first, I suspected that he'd found a way to intentionally destroy other players' weapons, but that wasn't it. He's the first blacksmith in Aimcrad, and the first upgrade scammer. 
Upgrade scams, enchantment scams, forging scams, refinement scams. The name varied depending on the title of the game, but it was a classic, traditional means of deception that had been around since the early days of MMORPGs, the method was simple. The blacksmith, or other type of crafter, put out a sign advertising his weapon upgrade. Service, charged his clients expensive fees, then embezzled. The funds by pretending the upgrade attempt destroyed the item. In games where weapon destruction wasn't one of the failure states, they had a variety of other options to fool clients, such as replacing the item with the same one a single level lower, or just keeping the crafting materials for themselves without attempting to upgrade. In the original pre-full dive games played on a monitor, the Player's weapon was completely lost from view as soon as they handed it over to the blacksmith. The entire process happened on the other player's screen, so there was no means of telling whether any fraud had taken place. Leaning too heavily on such deception would quickly lead to the kind of bad reputation that kept any more players from using their services, but rare gear in MMOs could be incredibly valuable. Even the occasional bit of trickery might reap huge benefits. There were almost no bad rumors about Neza, so the rate of his fraud must still be quite low. However, the problem is, this is the world's first VR MMO. Even after handing over the weapon, we can see it. It can't be easy to switch it out. In fact, it must be incredibly hard. My long explanation finally concluded, Asuna frowned, and murmured, I see, I thought I kept the sword in my sights. The entire time after giving it to him, the blacksmith held my sword in his left hand and did all of the controls, and hammering with his right, he couldn't possibly have opened a window, put my sword into storage, and brought out a fake. I absolutely agree. He had a number of pre-forged weapons on his store display, but the best ones were iron rapiers, and none were wind florets. So B couldn't have just switched them like that. However, 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 there was a brief point where my eyes left the sword. The time when Neza tossed her materials into the forge, and it started glowing blue. It was three seconds at the most. I wanted to make sure that he used all of the materials we spent so much time collecting. I trailed off. As soon as Hazel eyes went wide. Oh. I, I think I was watching the furnace the entire time, but only because I thought the blue flames were pretty. Um, okay. Anyway, we weren't watching the sword in his hand while it happened. I think anyone would be staring at the flames. The materials burn and melt and change into the color of the property, so it's a big show to those watching. I think he might be using that as misdirection, the way a magician would. So he switched out the sword in the three seconds we were watching the forge, without opening his menu? She started to shake her head in disbelief, but stopped just as quickly. On the other hand, that's the only moment it could have happened. 
he must have pulled off some kind of trick. In those three seconds. I can't imagine what it is, but if we can just witness him doing the same thing again. Agreed. Then we can watch his left hand the entire time. But that'll be difficult. Why? Neza must have noticed by now that the wind floret. Plus four, he supposedly stole, is gone. Meaning that the player he tricked, in this case, you, utilized the materialize all command, because you probably saw through his deception. He'll be spooked, and either not set up his shop for a while, or if he does, he won't attempt that scam again. I see. He didn't seem to be that excited about it to begin with, in fact. Asuna paused, but I knew exactly what she was about to say. In fact, he didn't seem like the kind of person to commit fraud. Yeah, I agree, I said. She glanced over at me and smiled. Shyly. I went on, my voice quiet, we'll lay low and gather. Information. Both on the switch-out trick and on Neza. Himself. Either way, we've got to get back to the front line. Tomorrow. Yes, you're right. From what I heard in Marom today, they're going to challenge the last field boss tomorrow. Morning, then enter the labyrinth in the afternoon. Wow, that's quick, who's leading the battle force? Kibu, and someone else, named Lind. I recognized the first name she said, of course, but the second was unfamiliar. Lind was in Diavel's party, during the first floor boss fight, he used a scimitar. Her words seemed to be coming from miles away. The instant the words hit my brain, I heard his tearful scream in my ears. Why did you abandon Diavel to die? Oh, him. Yes. It seems like he took over in Diavel's place. He even dyed his hair blue and his armor silver, just like Diavel's. I shut my eyes, envisioning the dead knight in his blue and silver finery. Between Kibu and the other guy's leader, I'm guessing. They won't save a space for me in the boss fight. Will you participate, Asuna? I asked her. She was a solo player, just like me. Her long brown hair shook left and right. I took part in the scouting of the boss, but it was just a big bull. Didn't seem like it needed too many, as long as they were well coordinated. Plus they started getting really bossy about who would get the last attack bonus, so I told them straight out that I wouldn't be in the battle. I grimaced to myself, I could practically see the scene floating before my eyes. I see. You're right, that boss isn't anything to worry about. The real problem is the floor boss. It's a problem, she asked, to the point. I grimaced again. Of course. I mean, it stands to reason that the second floor boss would be tougher than the first. Oh, right. Of course. His attack isn't all that high, but he uses special skills on you. It's possible to practice a defensive strategy on the auto-generating mobs in the labyrinth, but if Diavel, secretly a beta tester, was still alive, he'd make Sure that information made it to all the other frontline 
players. But without him, the only reliable source of beta, info was Argo's strategy guides, and that was a problem. As, can't just pick and choose what to materialize. Boy, you. Should hear this story from the beta test. I grabbed a star-shaped nut from the dish on the table, flipped it into the air, and caught it in my mouth. Even this. Trifling action was affected by agility, the brightness of the surroundings, and the hidden influence of luck. So, the first snatching mob appears in the fifth floor. Labyrinth. A guy loses his main weapon and doesn't have a backup for a quick change. So he turns tail and manages to escape the monster. However, he doesn't feel like trekking all the way back to a safe room. Instead, he finds a spot he thinks is safe, then does the materialize all items. Trick. Sure enough, in the pile is his stolen sword. The problem is, the snatch mobs aren't the only guys to watch. Out for there, there are also looting mobs. All these little gremlins come pouring out of the woodwork and grab everything off the floor, stuff it into their sacks, and scamper off. That does sound awful, but couldn't he just find an actual safe haven and do that same trick again to get it all back? That's the thing. Most looter mobs have the robbing skill, which immediately rewrites the item's ownership. Fortunately for him, nobody else had been to that area yet, so he crawled the entire dungeon to hunt down all the gremlins and managed to get his stuff back by hand. I tell you, it brought tears to my eyes. I flipped another nut into the air, sighing in exasperation. That story sounded like there was some personal experience behind it, Asuna noted wryly. My internal panic system must have kicked in, because the nut landed in my hair rather than my mouth. I shook my head and tried to look aggrieved. It's just a story I heard, nothing more. Anyways, where was I? You were explaining how the materialize all. Command is useful, but has its limitations, she sighed, and reached out to pluck the star-shaped nut off my head. Before I could ask what she planned to do with it, she flicked it with a finger directly into the open crack of my mouth. I crunched it with my teeth, marveling at her accuracy. At any rate, now I understand the logic of how my sword came back, she said, taking a sip of her wine. When the glass left her lips, that dangerous light was back in her eyes. But that's only half of the story, isn't it? After all, I saw the sword I gave the blacksmith shatter on top of that. Anvil. If the wind floret that came back was my original sword, what sword was it that broke into pieces? A very good question. I nodded slowly, trying to piece together the fragments of information and suspicion into an easily explainable form. To be honest, I don't have a full explanation of that train of logic. What I can say for certain is this, at some point from the time you handed your wind floret to Neza, to the time it shattered into pieces, he switched it out for another item of the same type. At first, I suspected that he'd found a way to intentionally destroy other players' weapons, but that wasn't it. 
He's the first blacksmith in Aimcrad, and the first upgrade scammer. Upgrade scams, enchantment scams, forging scams, refinement scams. The name varied depending on the title of the game, but it was a classic, traditional means of deception that had been around since the early days of MMORPGs, the method was simple. The blacksmith, or other type of crafter, put out a sign advertising his weapon upgrade. Service, charged his clients expensive fees, then embezzled the funds by pretending the upgrade attempt destroyed the item. In games where weapon destruction wasn't one of the failure states, they had a variety of other options to fool clients, such as replacing the item with the same one a single level lower, or just keeping the crafting materials for themselves without attempting to upgrade. In the original pre-full dive games played on a monitor, the player's weapon was completely lost from view as soon as they handed it over to the blacksmith. The entire process happened on the other player's screen, so there was no means of telling whether any fraud had taken place. Leaning too heavily on such deception would quickly lead to the kind of bad reputation that kept any more players from using their services, but rare gear in MMOs could be incredibly valuable. Even the occasional bit of trickery might reap huge benefits. There were almost no bad rumors about Neza, so the rate of his fraud must still be quite low. However, the problem is, this is the world's first VR MMO. Even after handing over the weapon, we can see it. It can't be easy to switch it out, in fact, it must be incredibly hard. My long explanation finally concluded, Asuna frowned, and murmured, I see, I thought I kept the sword in my sights. The entire time after giving it to him, the blacksmith held my sword in his left hand and did all of the controls, and hammering with his right, he couldn't possibly have opened a window put my sword into storage, and brought out a fake. I absolutely agree. He had a number of pre-forged weapons on his store display, but the best ones were iron rapiers, and none were wind florets. So B couldn't have just switched them like that. However, 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 there was a brief point where my eyes left the sword the time when Neza tossed her materials into the forge. And it started glowing blue. It was three seconds at the most. I wanted to make sure that he used all of the materials we spent so much time collecting. I trailed off. As soon as Hazel eyes went wide. Oh. I, I think I was watching the furnace the entire time, but only because I thought the blue flames were pretty. Um, okay. Anyway, we weren't watching the sword in his hand while it happened. I think anyone would be staring at the flames. The materials burn and melt and change into the color of the property, so it's a big show to those watching. I think he might be using that as misdirection, the way a magician would. So he switched out the sword in the three seconds we were watching the forge, without opening his menu? She started to shake her head in disbelief, but stopped just as quickly. 
On the other hand, that's the only moment it could have happened. He must have pulled off some kind of trick. In those three seconds. I can't imagine what it is, but if we can just witness him doing the same thing again. Agreed. Then we can watch his left hand the entire time. But that'll be difficult. Why? Neza must have noticed by now that the wind floret. Plus four, he supposedly stole, is gone. Meaning that the player he tricked, in this case, you, utilized the materialize all command, because you probably saw through his deception. He'll be spooked, and either not set up his shop for a while, or if he does, he won't attempt that scam again. I see. He didn't seem to be that excited about it to begin with, in fact. Asuna paused, but I knew exactly what she was about to say. In fact, he didn't seem like the kind of person to commit fraud. Yeah, I agree, I said. She glanced over at me and smiled. Shyly. I went on, my voice quiet, we'll lay low and gather information. Both on the switch-out trick and on Neza. Himself. Either way, we've got to get back to the front line. Tomorrow. Yes, you're right. From what I heard in Marom today, they're going to challenge the last field boss tomorrow. Morning, then enter the labyrinth in the afternoon. Wow, that's quick, who's leading the battle force? Kibu, and someone else, named Lind. I recognized the first name she said, of course, but the second was unfamiliar. Lind was in Diavel's party, during the first floor boss fight, he used a scimitar. Her words seemed to be coming from miles away. The instant the words hit my brain, I heard his tearful scream in my ears. Why did you abandon Diavel to die? Oh, him. Yes. It seems like he took over in Diavel's place. He even dyed his hair blue and his armor silver, just like Diavel's. I shut my eyes, envisioning the dead knight in his blue and silver finery. Between Kibu and the other guy's leader, I'm guessing. They won't save a space for me in the boss fight. Will you participate, Asuna? I asked her. She was a solo player, just like me. Her long brown hair shook left and right. I took part in the scouting of the boss, but it was just a big bull. Didn't seem like it needed too many, as long as they were well coordinated. Plus they started getting really bossy about who would get the last attack bonus, so I told them straight out that I wouldn't be in the battle. I grimaced to myself, I could practically see the scene floating before my eyes. I see. You're right, that boss isn't anything to worry about. The real problem is the floor boss. It's a problem, she asked, to the point. I grimaced again. Of course. I mean, it stands to reason that the second floor boss would be tougher than the first. Oh, right. Of course. His attack isn't all that high, but he uses special skills on you. It's possible to practice a defensive strategy on the auto-generating mobs in the labyrinth, but if Diavel, secretly a beta tester, 
was still alive, he'd make sure that information made it to all the other frontline players. But without him, the only reliable source of beta info was Argo's strategy guides, and that was a problem. As a soft voice. So the filling is warm custard cream and some kind of sweet sour fruit. I slowly lowered the Turan steamed bun from its position and inch away from my face, down to the table. The moment I let go, her voice struck again, sharp as a rapier. If, if it turns out you ate this during the beta test and knew what was inside and intentionally didn't tell me what it was, then I may not be able to stop myself from what comes next. I swear to you that I did not know. Absolutely, positively, categorically, I took a small handkerchief out of my belt pouch and handed it to her. Fortunately, mess effects here would disappear in only a few moments, even if left alone, and wiping them with any item categorized as cloth made them disappear entirely. With each mess, the durability of the cloth would fall, but I'd heard rumors of a magic handkerchief that could be used forever. Mess effects caused by mobs or special terrain often contained there. Own debuff effects, so an unlimited handkerchief would be really handy to have. If only it weren't such a rare piece of loot. Mm. I was shaken from my reverie by the return of my handkerchief. After a few seconds of wiping, Asuna's face was free of cream. She gave me one last glare, turned back to the window, and announced, I'll cook my own food the next time we have a stakeout. I'd rather not have to eat something terrible like this again. I felt tempted to point out that with a cooking skill of zero, she couldn't make anything that wasn't terrible. But even as a 14-year-old, I was smart enough to know I shouldn't. Instead I gave her a forced smile and opined, th that sounds great. Two arrows shot forward and wiped the smile off my face. When did I say, I'll cook my own food, for both of us? You didn't, I admitted sheepishly. When I actually tried. The cooled-off Tehran steamed bun, it wasn't bad, it was. Pretty good, actually. But only as a dessert. The outer skin was soft and chewy, and the cream inside was smooth and firm and not too sweet, the perfect match for the sour, strawberry-like fruit inside. I suspected that the preset flavor values for the bun were meant to resemble a strawberry cream pastry, but through developer error or some whim of the system, it was sold heated. As soon as mood improved eventually, she even ate two of the buns. That was all well and good, but unlike the buns, the actual purpose of our stakeout was turning out to be fruitless. The entire point of doing this, of course, was to monitor Neza, the blacksmith, and attempt to discover the means of his weapon-switching trick. His business was thriving, but nearly all of the requests were maintenance repairs, and only two players in the hour that we watched asked him to upgrade their weapons. Both of those attempts were successful. I suspected that it was because they were only mid-rank weapons, but it was starting to make me doubt the possibility that there was any deception at all. 
What if a sin is sword breaking and then reappearing? Thanks to the materialize all items button we're just freakish errors, bugs in the system. No, that can't be it, I muttered to myself, trying to shake. Aside my self-doubt, the means of the weapon-switching trick were still a mystery, but we knew how it was that the wind floret was destroyed on the first attempt, it was the very piece of information that Asuna bought from Argo. When Argo had asked Asuna what her business was, the answer surprised me. She said, I want you to find out if Destruction is one of the possible penalties for an unsuccessful attempt at upgrading a weapon. Argo's answer was just as unexpected as the question. I don't need to look it up. I already know the answer. We were stunned. Argo said up front that she'd give it to us. For the cost of her drinks, and explained. Strictly as a failure penalty, weapon breaking will never happen. However, there is one way to ensure that a weapon will break with absolute certainty when you attempt to upgrade a weapon that is out of upgrade attempts. Meaning this. Last night, the wind florette that crumbled to pieces before our eyes was in fact switched in at some point, and it had already used all of its allotted upgrade attempts. It was a spent weapon. But the wind florette plus four hanging from Asuna's waist, still had two chances left. So even if the attempt had failed, it could not have caused the sword to crack. Now that the spent weapon concept had entered the picture, I thought back to Rufiel, the fellow who tried out Neza before Asuna did. I couldn't determine if Neza had indeed switched out his anneal blade with a different one. But the result was three straight failures, not destruction. Perhaps he couldn't do his normal trick because there were so many people around, or perhaps he just didn't have a spent a nail blade to switch it with. If that was the case, it explained why Neza offered the crestfallen Rufiel a sum of money much higher than the going rate for that spent plus zero a nail blade. He wasn't compensating the man for his loss, but stocking up for the next attempt. Carido. I blinked, snapped out of my speculation. My eyes focused. And saw that the plaza below was shrouded in night, and. Few players were still going to and from. One player walked directly across the circular plaza. He. Wore metal armor that reflected the light of the lampposts, and a dark blue shirt, clearly the uniform of Lin's group, the top team among the frontline players. Asuna, and I watched with bated breath as he approached. Neza's smith shop and removed his sword from his waist. Attachment. Its length and shape identified it as a one-handed longsword. But it was slightly shorter and wider than my anneal blade. I couldn't be sure because of the distance and darkness, but the large knuckle guard appeared to be that of a stout. Brand. That was a broadsword, a subcategory of one-handed swords that prioritized attack strength over speed. It was about as rare as a wind floret, if not slightly higher. Certainly good enough to be a target for his switcheroo. Asuna whispered. I was surprised that she'd identified it at a glance, but I didn't let it show. Yeah. Now, whether he asks for maintenance or an upgrade, there was at least 50 feet in between us at the 
southwestern side of the plaza, and the outdoor blacksmith. Shop at the northwest edge. The search skills parameter adjustment brought several details into focus, but it was much too far to hear a conversation at normal volume. Do you know that guy's name from the Lin team? I asked. Asuna thought it over. I think his name is Shibata. With A-V? Not Shibata? It was spelled S-H-I-V-A-T-A. Seems pretty clear to me. All right, then. We both practiced the foreign sound of the letter V by biting our lower lips. Meanwhile, Neza and Shibata had finished their negotiation and the stout brand changed. Hands, sheath and all. This was the important point. We craned as close as possible to the window without being visible from the plaza and focused on the blacksmith's hands. Inevitably, our shoulders and even hair brushed up against each other, but the proud fencer would certainly understand, given the circumstances. If it was a maintenance request, Neza would remove the sword and place it against the small grindstone affixed to the side of his anvil. But he turned away from his client and reached out with his right hand to one of the many leather sacks on the carpet. Those sacks presumably contained different types of crafting materials. Meaning an upgrade. I hissed. Asuna nodded vigorously and whispered, the left hand. Keep your eyes on his left hand. She didn't have to tell me. I kept my eyes fixed on that left hand, fighting the natural urge to follow the movement of his right. Shibata's broadsword hung from Neza's hand, still in the sheath. There was nothing unnatural about the position or angle of his arm. Very close to the sword was a display of pre-made weapons for sale, but there was no way he could switch them. All of the display weapons were common iron weapons, there was not a single rare weapon among them, and certainly not another stout brand. Besides, dropping the sword onto the carpet and lifting a nearby weapon would draw too much attention. I couldn't imagine that we'd have missed. Such an action when the wind floret was nearly stolen. Neza's left hand was completely still, holding the broadsword, while the right hand did all the work. He picked out all of his materials from the leather sacks and tossed them into the forge next to the anvil, the dozen or so. Items burst into flame and eventually melted into one big lump, I assumed. I wasn't actually watching. At any rate, it was the highlight of the upgrading process. For an instant, the deep red light that signified a heaviness upgrade shone. From the forge, then subsided into the waiting state, every muscle in my body twitched. At the same moment the red light flared, Neza's left hand did something. Asuna must have sensed it as well, because our shoulders jumped. Did he? The sword. We kept staring, but couldn't finish our sentences. That brief flash of light, barely half a second, was enough to blind us from the exact sight we needed to witness. As I watched, teeth grinding, the blacksmith gingerly raised the stout brand. If he had indeed done something to 
It, the sword looked absolutely identical to the one Shivata gave him. He grabbed the hilt with his right hand and slowly pulled the sword out, then placed the thick blade into the red flames of the forge. After a few seconds, all of the light transferred to the weapon. He placed it on the anvil, picked up his smithing hammer with his right hand, and began striking the sword. Five. Eight. Ten. Just as we feared, the dark gray blade of the stout brand shattered into pieces. This time, neither of us missed it. What now? Asuna asked, watching the quiet plaza from the windowsill. It was clear what she was referring to. Shivata showed remarkable restraint in bottling up his anger and disappointment, and left with minimal complaint to Neza. Asuna was wondering if we should track him down and reveal the existence of the deception. From a sympathy standpoint, I wanted to tell him, because within an hour, he could use the materialize all items button to retrieve his sword. But from a more practical standpoint, Shivada would not be happy just to get his sword back. He would surely return to the plaza and confront Neza with this evidence, and I could not predict what would happen after that. Neza's actions were evil, of that there was no doubt. He ought to suffer proper punishment for his misdeeds. But without a GM holding court in this virtual world, who would determine what was proper? Even a crafter could not just hang out in town all the time. What if, when he left the safety of the village limits, some player attempted to punish him through means within their control? What if they took it to the ultimate conclusion? If we told Shivada now, it could ultimately lead to the very first in Ainkrad. That concern was the driving force behind Asuna's question, and I did not have an easy answer in mind. As I sat racked by indecision and unease, I heard the calming ringing of bells. It was eight o'clock. At the same moment, the hammering outside stopped. I moved next to Asuna and looked to see that Neza was closing up his shop. He extinguished the forge, put away the tools and materials, folded the sign, and began laying them all on top of the carpet. His back looked so very small and unassuming. Why did Neza and the legend Braves decide to start doing this fraud, anyway? And how? I murmured to myself. Asuna shrugged. I mean, even if they came up with the idea to switch the weapons, there's a huge hurdle between something that is theoretically possible within the system and actually doing it. SAO's not just a normal. Vermo. Our lives are on the line now. Surely they have to. Realize what might happen if they steal other people's. Weapons. Maybe they do realize, and decided to kick over the. Hurdles anyway. Huh? Ignoring the ethical side of it, the actual hurdle is just. Knowing that you could risk your life if you get exposed, right? So they can eliminate that issue if they just get far stronger than anyone else before anyone finds out what they're doing. That way they can fight off any attempts to take their lives in the wilderness. 
The six, er, five members of the legend Braves probably aren't that far off from there. Goal. When Asuna's words sank in, I felt my virtual skin crawl. See come on, don't tell me that. A team of guys that doesn't. Shy away from wicked acts, strong enough to destroy any. Frontline players? I mean. My throat became so constricted that even I could barely. Make out the next words I said. They'd rule the world. While I wasn't inclined to think that this weapon scam. Wasn't my problem in any way, I also assumed that I wouldn't have to suffer from it. I just had to make sure I didn't ever give Neza my sword. But that was a terribly short-sighted view of the situation. 33 days before, the moment we were trapped in. This game permanently, I left behind my first and only friend in the game, Klein, and abandoned him back in the town of beginnings. I avoided the wilderness zones, which I expected to be bled dry in no time and headed straight for Harunka, the next town. In other words, I prioritized the quickest and most efficient way to upgrade my equipment and stats so that I could maximize my chance of survival. Using all the knowledge from my beta experience, I tore through countless quests and mobs, racing onward and onward. From the moment I chose to sprint out of the gates, I'd never slowed in my progress. But the speed of my advancement was always based purely on the rules of the game, if not personal morals. If I were to ignore those rules, there were far more efficient ways to advance than what I did now, for example, monopolizing the best hunting grounds or stealing rare loot from other players. Of course, swindling weapons only earned them COR and the item itself, not experience or skill points. But as Asuna had said, with enough money, there was no limit on how much you could power up your gear. I had bumped my main weapon up to plus six, but my armor was currently averaging around plus three against a player with fully upgraded armor, even at a lower level, there was no way I could win. In other words, allowing the legend Braves to continue in. Their weapon fraud would be tantamount to allowing the creation of a group of players stronger than me and unbound by rules or morals. I'm sorry. It took me until just now to realize how serious this is, I murmured. The fencer looked at me suspiciously. Why would you say sorry? Well, you almost had your sword stolen, right? And this whole time, I've only been half concerned, as if it was someone else's problem. The words emerged naturally, without thinking, but for some reason, Asuna scowled even harder, blinked a few times, then yanked her head in the other direction, angrily. There's no need to apologize. It's not as though you and I are total strangers, I mean, um, we know each other, and... We're party members, but there's nothing more. Then, arg. Look what you did. You're acting so weird, I'm... All confused. I thought I was more confused than she was, but before I could respond, she looked out the window and her eyes... Narrowed. That carpet. Huh. So keeping your items from wasting away isn't its only... Function. I turned to look at the East Plaza of Tarun.
in the northwest corner, Neza had finished packing away all his tools and was now fiddling with the pop-up menu on his vendor's carpet. It started rolling itself up, and the assortment of objects on top of it was automatically sucked into storage. Hey, do you suppose he's using that function to switch the weapons? I shook my head instantly. No, that's not possible. The carpet's absorption ability has to be activated via the menu, like he's doing now, plus it swallows up everything on top of the carpet. You couldn't have it take just one sword and spit another one out, in exchange. I trailed to a stop. The vendor's carpet's ability to store items could not be used to exchange them. However, what if he used his own storage, meaning the inventory tab of his main menu? I rolled away from the window and slumped to my knees. W.H. What are you doing? Asuna asked. I didn't reply. I brought up the menu with my right hand and switched to the item list. As I had done the last night when I showed Asuna the equipment mannequin, I tapped the top and bottom edges of the window to make it adjustable, then lowered it down until it was almost stuck to the floor, right below where my left hand would dangle if I let it hang. Lastly, I pulled the anneal blade, sheath and all, off my back and held it in my dangling left hand. I didn't have a folding chair, but I was about the same distance off the ground as Neza was when he accepted the weapon from his customer. Asuna held a deep breath, understanding what I was about to try. I looked up at her face and said, watch close and count the time. Okay. Here goes, three, two, one, zero. I dropped the sword directly onto the window. Just as it touched the surface, the sword vanished in a puff of light and turned into text in the menu. I promptly touched the item name. When the submenu appeared, I selected Materialize. With another splash of light, the sword reappeared and I picked it up again. How was that? I looked up and met the fencer's wide-eyed gaze. Her hazel eyes blinked slowly, moved to my left hand, and she shook. Every muscle in my body twitched. At the same moment the red light flared, Neza's left hand did something. Asuna must have sensed it as well, because our shoulders jumped. Did he? The sword. We kept staring, but couldn't finish our sentences. That brief flash of light, barely half a second, was enough to blind us from the exact sight we needed to witness. As I watched, teeth grinding, the blacksmith gingerly raised the stout brand. If he had indeed done something to it, the sword looked absolutely identical to the one Shivata gave him. He grabbed the hilt with his right hand and slowly pulled the sword out, then placed the thick blade into the red. Flames of the Forge After a few seconds, all of the light transferred to the weapon. He placed it on the anvil, picked up his smithing hammer with his right hand, and began striking the sword. Five, eight, ten. Just as we feared, the dark gray blade of the stout brand 
shattered into pieces. This time, neither of us missed it. What now? Asuna asked, watching the quiet plaza from the windowsill. It was clear what she was referring to, Shibata showed. Remarkable restraint in bottling up his anger and disappointment, and left with minimal complaint to Neza. Asuna was wondering if we should track him down and reveal the existence of the deception. From a sympathy standpoint, I wanted to tell him, because within an hour, he could use the materialize all items button to retrieve his sword. But from a more practical standpoint, Shivada would not be happy just to get his sword back. He would surely return to the plaza and confront Neza with this evidence, and I could not predict what would happen after that. Neza's actions were evil, of that there was no doubt. He ought to suffer proper punishment for his misdeeds. But without a GM holding court in this virtual world, who would determine what was proper? Even a crafter could not just hang out in town all the time. What if, when he left the safety of the village limits, some player attempted to punish him through means within their control? What if they took it to the ultimate conclusion? If we told Shibata now, it could ultimately lead to the very first in Ainkrad. That concern was the driving force behind Asuna's question, and I did not have an easy answer in mind. As I sat racked by indecision and unease, I heard the calming ringing of bells. It was eight o'clock. At the same moment, the hammering outside stopped. I moved next to Asuna and looked to see that Neza was closing up his shop. He extinguished the forge, put away the tools and materials, folded the sign, and began laying them all on top of the carpet. His back looked so very small and unassuming. Why did Neza and the legend Braves decide to start doing this fraud, anyway? And how? I murmured to myself. Asuna shrugged. I mean, even if they came up with the idea to switch the weapons, there's a huge hurdle between something that is theoretically possible within the system and actually doing it. SAO's not just a normal Vermo. Our lives are on the line now. Surely they have to realize what might happen if they steal other people's weapons. Maybe they do realize and decided to kick over the hurdles anyway. Huh? Ignoring the ethical side of it, the actual hurdle is just knowing that you could risk your life if you get exposed, right? So they can eliminate that issue if they just get far stronger than anyone else before anyone finds out what they're doing. That way they can fight off any attempts to take their lives in the wilderness. The six, er, five members of the legend Braves, probably aren't that far off from their goal. When Asuna's words sank in, I felt my virtual skin crawl. See come on, don't tell me that. A team of guys that doesn't shy away from wicked acts, strong enough to destroy any frontline players, I mean. My throat became so constricted that even I could barely make out the next words I said. They'd rule the world. While I wasn't inclined to think that this weapon scam 
wasn't my problem in any way, I also assumed that I wouldn't have to suffer from it. I just had to make sure I didn't ever give Neza my sword. But that was a terribly short-sighted view of the situation. 33 days before, the moment we were trapped in. This game permanently, I left behind my first and only friend in the game, Klein, and abandoned him back in the town of beginnings. I avoided the wilderness zones, which I expected to be bled dry in no time and headed straight for Harunka, the next town. In other words, I prioritized the quickest and most efficient way to upgrade my equipment and stats so that I could maximize my chance of survival. Using all the knowledge from my beta experience, I tore through countless quests and mobs, racing onward and onward. From the moment I chose to sprint out of the gates, I'd never slowed in my progress. But the speed of my advancement was always based purely on the rules of the game, if not personal morals. If I were to ignore those rules, there were far more efficient ways to advance than what I did now for example, monopolizing the best hunting grounds or stealing rare loot from other players. Of course, swindling weapons only earned them COR and the item itself, not experience or skill points. But as Asuna had said, with enough money, there was no limit on how much you could power up your gear. I had bumped my main weapon up to plus six, but my armor was currently averaging around plus three, against a player with fully upgraded armor, even at a lower level, there was no way I could win. In other words, allowing the legend braves to continue in their weapon fraud would be tantamount to allowing the creation of a group of players stronger than me and unbound by rules or morals. I'm sorry. It took me until just now to realize how serious this is, I murmured. The fencer looked at me suspiciously. Why would you say sorry? Well, you almost had your sword stolen, right? And this whole time, I've only been half concerned, as if it was someone else's problem. The words emerged naturally, without thinking, but for some reason, Asuna scowled even harder, blinked a few times, then yanked her head in the other direction, angrily. There's no need to apologize. It's not as though you and I are total strangers. I mean, um, we know each other and we're party members, but there's nothing more. Then, arg. Look what you did. You're acting so weird. I'm all confused. I thought I was more confused than she was, but before I could respond, she looked out the window and her eyes narrowed that carpet. Huh. So keeping your items from wasting away isn't its only function. I turned to look at the east plaza of Tarun. In the northwest corner, Neza had finished packing away all his tools and was now fiddling with the pop-up menu on his vendor's carpet. It started rolling itself up, and the assortment of objects on top of it was automatically sucked into storage. Hey! Do you suppose he's using that function to switch the weapons? I shook my head instantly. No, that's not possible. The carpet's absorption ability has to be activated via the menu, like he's doing now, 
plus it swallows up everything on top of the carpet. You couldn't have it take just one sword and spit another one out in exchange. I trailed to a stop. The vendor's carpet's ability to store items could not be used to exchange them. However, what if he used his own storage, meaning the inventory tab of his main menu? I rolled away from the window and slumped to my knees. W.H. What are you doing? Asuna asked. I didn't reply. I brought up the menu with my right hand and switched to the item list. As I had done the last night when I showed Asuna the equipment mannequin, I tapped the top and bottom edges of the window to make it adjustable, then lowered it down until it was almost stuck to the floor, right below where my left hand would dangle if I let it hang. Lastly, I pulled the anneal blade, sheath and all, off my back and held it in my dangling left hand. I didn't have a folding chair, but I was about the same distance off the ground as Neza was when he accepted the weapon from his customer. Asuna held a deep breath, understanding what I was about to try. I looked up at her face and said, watch close and count the time. Okay. Here goes, three, two, one, zero. I dropped the sword directly onto the window. Just as it touched the surface, the sword vanished in a puff of light and turned into text in the menu. I promptly touched the item name. When the submenu appeared, I selected Materialize. With another splash of light, the sword reappeared and I picked it up again. How was that? I looked up and met the fencer's wide-eyed gaze. Her hazel eyes blinked slowly, moved to my left hand, and she shook. Every muscle in my body twitched. At the same moment the red light flared, Neza's left hand did something. Asuna must have sensed it as well, because our shoulders jumped. Did he? The sword. We kept staring, but couldn't finish our sentences. That brief flash of light, barely half a second, was enough to blind us from the exact sight we needed to witness. As I watched, teeth grinding, the blacksmith gingerly raised the stout brand. If he had indeed done something to it, the sword looked absolutely identical to the one Shivata gave him. He grabbed the hilt with his right hand and slowly pulled the sword out, then placed the thick blade into the red flames of the forge. After a few seconds, all of the light transferred to the weapon. He placed it on the anvil, picked up his smithing hammer with his right hand, and began striking the sword. Five, eight, ten. Just as we feared, the dark gray blade of the stout brand shattered into pieces. This time, neither of us missed it. What now? Asuna asked, watching the quiet plaza from the windowsill. It was clear what she was referring to. Shibata showed remarkable restraint in bottling up his anger and disappointment and left with minimal complaint to Neza. Asuna was wondering if we should track him down and reveal the existence of the deception. From a sympathy standpoint, I wanted to tell him, because 
Within an hour, he could use the materialize all items button to retrieve his sword. But from a more practical standpoint, Shivada would not be happy just to get his sword back. He would surely return to the plaza and confront Neza with this evidence, and I could not predict what would happen after that. Neza's actions were evil, of that there was no doubt. He ought to suffer proper punishment for his misdeeds. But, without a GM holding court in this virtual world, who would determine what was proper? Even a crafter could not just hang out in town all the time. What if, when he left the safety of the village limits, some player attempted to punish him through means within their control? What if they took it to the ultimate conclusion? If we told Shibata now, it could ultimately lead to the very first in Ankrad, that concern was the driving force behind Asuna's question, and I did not have an easy answer in mind. As I sat racked by indecision and unease, I heard the calming ringing of bells. It was eight o'clock. At the same moment, the hammering outside stopped. I moved next to Asuna and looked to see that Neza was closing up his shop. He extinguished the forge, put away the tools and materials, folded the sign, and began laying them all on top of the carpet. His back looked so very small and unassuming. Why did Neza and the legend Braves decide to start doing this fraud, anyway? And how? I murmured to myself. Asuna shrugged. I mean, even if they came up with the idea to switch the weapons, there's a huge hurdle between something that is theoretically possible within the system and actually doing it. SAO's not just a normal Vermo. Our lives are on the line now. Surely they have to realize what might happen if they steal other people's weapons. Maybe they do realize and decided to kick over the hurdles anyway. Huh? Ignoring the ethical side of it, the actual hurdle is just knowing that you could risk your life if you get exposed, right? So they can eliminate that issue if they just get far stronger than anyone else before anyone finds out what they're doing. That way they can fight off any attempts to take their lives in the wilderness. The six, er, five members of the legend Braves, probably aren't that far off from their goal. When Asuna's words sank in, I felt my virtual skin crawl. See come on, don't tell me that. A team of guys that doesn't shy away from wicked acts, strong enough to destroy any frontline players, I mean. My throat became so constricted that even I could barely make out the next words I said. They'd rule the world. While I wasn't inclined to think that this weapon scam wasn't my problem in any way, I also assumed that I wouldn't have to suffer from it. I just had to make sure I didn't ever give Neza my sword. But that was a terribly short-sighted view of the situation. Thirty-three days before, the moment we were trapped in this game permanently, I left behind my first and only friend in the game, Klein, and abandoned him back in the town of beginnings. I avoided the wilderness zones, which I expected to be bled dry in no time, and headed straight 
for Harunka, the next town. In other words, I prioritized the quickest and most efficient way to upgrade my equipment and stats so that I could maximize my chance of survival. Using all the knowledge from my beta experience, I tore through countless quests and mobs, racing onward and onward. From the moment I chose to sprint out of the gates, I'd never slowed in my progress. But the speed of my advancement was always based purely on the rules of the game, if not personal morals. If I were to ignore those rules, there were far more efficient ways to advance than what I did now, for example, monopolizing the best hunting grounds or stealing rare loot from other players. Of course, swindling weapons only earned them COR and the item itself, not experience or skill points. But as Asuna had said, with enough money, there was no limit on how much you could power up your gear. I had bumped my main weapon up to plus six, but my armor was currently averaging around plus three against a player with fully upgraded armor. Even at a lower level, there was no way I could win. In other words, allowing the legend braves to continue in their weapon fraud would be tantamount to allowing the creation of a group of players stronger than me, and unbound by rules or morals. I'm sorry. It took me until just now to realize how serious this is, I murmured. The fencer looked at me suspiciously. Why would you say sorry? Well, you almost had your sword stolen, right? And this whole time I've only been half concerned, as if it was someone else's problem. The words emerged naturally, without thinking, but for some reason, Asuna scowled even harder, blinked a few times, then yanked her head in the other direction, angrily. There's no need to apologize. It's not as though you and I are total strangers, I mean, um, we know each other, and we're party members, but there's nothing more than, arg. Look what you did. You're acting so weird, I'm all confused. I thought I was more confused than she was, but before I could respond, she looked out the window and her eyes narrowed. That carpet. Huh. So keeping your items from wasting away isn't its only function. I turned to look at the East Plaza of Tarun. In the northwest corner, Neza had finished packing away all his tools and was now fiddling with the pop-up menu on his vendor's carpet. It started rolling itself up, and the assortment of objects on top of it was automatically sucked into storage. Hey, do you suppose he's using that function to switch the weapons? I shook my head instantly. No, that's not possible. The carpet's absorption ability has to be activated via the menu, like he's doing now. Plus it swallows up everything on top of the carpet. You couldn't have it take just one sword and spit another one out, in exchange. I trailed to a stop. The vendor's carpet's ability to store items could not be used to exchange them. However, what if he used his own storage, meaning the inventory tab of his main menu? I rolled away from the window and slumped to my knees. W.H. What are you doing?
Asuna asked. I didn't reply. I brought up the menu with my right hand and switched to the item list. As I had done the last night when I showed Asuna the equipment mannequin, I tapped the top and bottom edges of the window to make it adjustable, then lowered it down until it was almost stuck to the floor, right below where my left hand would dangle if I let it hang. Lastly, I pulled the anneal blade, sheath and all, off my back and held it in my dangling left hand. I didn't have a folding chair, but I was about the same distance off the ground as Neza was when he accepted the weapon from his customer. Asuna held a deep breath, understanding what I was about to try. I looked up at her face and said, watch close and count the time. Okay. Here goes, three, two, one, zero. I dropped the sword directly onto the window. Just as it touched the surface, the sword vanished in a puff of light and turned into text in the menu. I promptly touched the item name. When the submenu appeared, I selected Materialize. With another splash of light, the sword reappeared and I picked it up again. How was that? I looked up and met the fencer's wide-eyed gaze. Her hazel eyes blinked slowly, moved to my left hand, and she shook. Every muscle in my body twitched. At the same moment the red light flared, Neza's left hand did something. Asuna must have sensed it as well, because our shoulders jumped. Did he? The sword. We kept staring, but couldn't finish our sentences. That. Brief flash of light, barely half a second, was enough to blind us from the exact sight we needed to witness. As I watched, teeth grinding, the blacksmith gingerly raised the stout brand. If he had indeed done something to it, the sword looked absolutely identical to the one Shivata gave him. He grabbed the hilt with his right hand and slowly pulled the sword out, then placed the thick blade into the red. Flames of the Forge After a few seconds, all of the light transferred to the weapon. He placed it on the anvil, picked up his smithing hammer with his right hand, and began striking the sword. Five, eight, ten. Just as we feared, the dark gray blade of the stout brand shattered into pieces. This time, neither of us missed it. What now? Asuna asked, watching the quiet plaza from the windowsill. It was clear what she was referring to. Shivata showed remarkable restraint in bottling up his anger and disappointment and left with minimal complaint to Neza. Asuna was wondering if we should track him down and reveal the existence of the deception. From a sympathy standpoint, I wanted to tell him, because... Within an hour, he could use the materialize all items button to retrieve his sword. But from a more practical standpoint, Shivada would not be happy just to get his sword back. He would surely return to the plaza and confront Neza with this evidence, and I could not predict what would happen after that. Neza's actions were evil, of that there was no doubt. He ought to suffer proper punishment for his misdeeds. But, 
without a GM holding court in this virtual world, who would determine what was proper. Even a crafter could not just hang out in town all the time. What if, when he left the safety of the village limits, some player attempted to punish him through means within their control? What if they took it to the ultimate conclusion? If we told Shavada now, it could ultimately lead to the very first in Ankrad. That concern was the driving force behind Asuna's question, and I did not have an easy answer in mind. As I sat racked by indecision and unease, I heard the calming ringing of bells. It was eight o'clock. At the same moment, the hammering outside stopped. I moved next to Asuna and looked to see that Neza was closing up his shop. He extinguished the forge, put away the tools and materials, folded the sign, and began laying them all on top of the carpet. His back looked so very small and unassuming. Why did Neza and the legend Braves decide to start doing this fraud, anyway? And how? I murmured to myself. Asuna shrugged. I mean, even if they came up with the idea to switch the weapons, there's a huge hurdle between something that is theoretically possible within the system and actually doing it. SAO's not just a normal Vermo. Our lives are on the line now. Surely they have to realize what might happen if they steal other people's weapons. Maybe they do realize and decided to kick over the hurdles anyway. Huh? Ignoring the ethical side of it, the actual hurdle is just knowing that you could risk your life if you get exposed, right? So they can eliminate that issue if they just get far stronger than anyone else before anyone finds out what they're doing. That way they can fight off any attempts to take their lives in the wilderness. The six, er, five members of the legend Braves probably aren't that far off from their goal. When Asuna's words sank in, I felt my virtual skin crawl. See come on, don't tell me that. A team of guys that doesn't shy away from wicked acts, strong enough to destroy any frontline players, I mean. My throat became so constricted that even I could barely make out the next words I said. They'd rule the world. While I wasn't inclined to think that this weapon scam wasn't my problem in any way, I also assumed that I wouldn't have to suffer from it. I just had to make sure I didn't ever give Neza my sword. But that was a terribly short-sighted view of the situation. Thirty-three days before, the moment we were trapped in this game permanently, I left behind my first and only friend in the game, Klein, and abandoned him back in the town of beginnings. I avoided the wilderness zones, which I expected to be bled dry in no time and headed straight for Harunka, the next town. In other words, I prioritized the quickest and most efficient way to upgrade my equipment and stats so that I could maximize my chance of survival. Using all the knowledge from my beta experience, I tore through countless quests and mobs, racing onward and onward. From the moment I chose to sprint out of the gates, I'd never slowed in my progress. But the speed of my advancement was always based purely 
on the rules of the game, if not personal morals. If I were to ignore those rules, there were far more efficient ways to advance than what I did now, for example, monopolizing the best hunting grounds or stealing rare loot from other players. Of course, swindling weapons only earned them COR and the item itself, not experience or skill points. But as Asuna had said, with enough money, there was no limit on how much you could power up your gear. I had bumped my main weapon up to plus six, but my armor was currently averaging around plus three against a player with fully upgraded armor, even at a lower level, there was no way I could win. In other words, allowing the legend braves to continue in their weapon fraud would be tantamount to allowing the creation of a group of players stronger than me and unbound by rules or morals. I'm sorry. It took me until just now to realize how serious this is, I murmured. The fencer looked at me suspiciously. Why would you say sorry? Well, you almost had your sword stolen, right? And this whole time I've only been half concerned, as if it was someone else's problem. The words emerged naturally, without thinking, but for some reason, Asuna scowled even harder, blinked a few times, then yanked her head in the other direction, angrily. There's no need to apologize. It's not as though you and I are total strangers, I mean, um, we know each other, and we're party members, but there's nothing more. Then, arg. Look what you did. You're acting so weird, I'm all confused. I thought I was more confused than she was, but before I could respond, she looked out the window and her eyes narrowed. That carpet. Huh. So keeping your items from wasting away isn't its only function. I turned to look at the East Plaza of Tarun. In the northwest corner, Neza had finished packing away all his tools and was now fiddling with the pop-up menu on his vendor's carpet. It started rolling itself up, and the assortment of objects on top of it was automatically sucked into storage. Hey, do you suppose he's using that function to switch the weapons? I shook my head instantly. No, that's not possible. The carpet's absorption ability has to be activated via the menu, like he's doing now. Plus it swallows up everything on top of the carpet. You couldn't have it take just one sword and spit another one out, in exchange. I trailed to a stop. The vendor's carpet's ability to store items could not be used to exchange them. However, what if he used his own storage, meaning the inventory tab of his main menu? I rolled away from the window and slumped to my knees. W.H. What are you doing? Asuna asked. I didn't reply. I brought up the menu with my right hand and switched to the item list. As I had done the last night when I showed Asuna the equipment mannequin, I tapped the top and bottom edges of the window to make it adjustable, then lowered it down until it was almost stuck to the floor, right? below where my left hand would dangle if I let it hang. Lastly, I pulled the anneal blade, sheath and all, off my 
back and held it in my dangling left hand. I didn't have a folding chair, but I was about the same distance off the ground as Neza was when he accepted the weapon from his customer. Asuna held a deep breath, understanding what I was about to try. I looked up at her face and said, watch close and count the time. Okay. Here goes, three, two, one, zero. I dropped the sword directly onto the window. Just as it touched the surface, the sword vanished in a puff of light and turned into text in the menu. I promptly touched the item name. When the submenu appeared, I selected materialize. With another splash of light, the sword reappeared and I picked it up again. How was that? I looked up and met the fencer's wide-eyed gaze. Her hazel eyes blinked slowly, moved to my left hand, and she shook. 